Waiting for Christmas is a tireless message. We are in Advent, Advent being the four Sundays before Christmas. And Advent means an anticipation that you're waiting for something. And I think you can sense it in that little boy in that clip. How many here have a difficult time waiting? Am I the only impatient person in this place? Oh, there's a couple of you. How many times do you go to the grocery store and you always get in the wrong line? Man, I see people that's like eight carts behind me and they're, they, go, they get in another line and they're out of there and there I am still waiting. Waiting room at the doctor. Airports. Boarding an airplane, getting luggage. And who loves to go to the BMV? They don't tell you to get a number. They just assume that you're smart enough to take a number. Uh, we moved to Indiana. I went in there, and the place was packed, and I didn't get a number. And I sat, and I sat, and I finally went. She said, well, you got to take a number. I said, well, man, you should have told me. She said, well, you should have known it, that kind of deal, you know. So I get number 12, and, and uh, they're just serving one, you know, so you have, to, you have to wait a while. And in traffic, when you're stopped... Has anybody ever driven on the shoulder or through the median to get around traffic? One person. Boy, you are, thank you, brother. You're the only honest one in here. <laughs> man, oh, man. That, what about those that drive in the left lane and are on a cell phone going poking along? Does that, does that upset anybody? Not to mention any names up there, but uh, now I'm out Christmas. You have a hard time waiting sometimes. Like I said before, I'm not, I don't like to wait. I, I like to open them up, but Steve makes us wait till Christmas morning, which is, is kind of difficult for me sometimes. And especially as this little boy in that clip had those presents under that tree, to wait and walk by those. And has anybody ever picked a, a box up and shook it? Or snooped through the house where something's hidden. I know Trudy's done that before, Ray. I don't know if you realize that or not, but, <laughs> but if you buy something for her, you better take it to work with you. Put it in your car or something because she's going to find it. We think about Christmas and kids writing letters to Santa about what on their, what's on their list and stuff, and usually they're, they're pretty humorous, actually. Here's, here's just a few for some, some kids at actual letters. Dear Santa... When you come to my house, there'll be cookies for you, but if you're real hungry, you can use our phone and order a pizza to go. Dear Santa, I want a puppy. I want a playhouse. Thank you. I've been good most of the time, but sometimes I get wild. I think that was Grant. Grant wrote that maybe when he was a kid. Dear Santa, here's from a four-year-old. I'll take anything because I haven't been that good. Dear Santa, please give me a doll this year. I would like her to eat, walk, do my homework, and help me clean my room. Thank you, Jenny. Yeah, who wouldn't want a doll like that? Dear Santa, thanks for the race car last year. Can I have another one? Only this time one that's faster than my best friend's race car, Ricky. Dear Santa, I wish you could leave a puzzle under the tree for me and a toy for my sister. Then she won't want to play with mine, and I can have it all to myself. Merry Christmas, Cassie. Dear Santa, you can send me one of everything from the boys' section of the Sears catalog, but nothing from the girls' section. I can't wait for Christmas to come, Kent. Santa, could you come early this year? I've been really super good, but I don't know if I can last much longer. Please hurry. Love, Jordan. <laughs> Dear Santa, Mama says that you can only bring presents for the good little boys. That isn't fair, Brian. 
Dear Santa, how old are you? How'd you meet Mrs. Claus? Is your first name really Santa? Can I be an elf next year? Who's your favorite kid? How do you fit all those toys in your sleigh? I have more questions for you later, Pauline. And the last one, my mother told me to write to you and say thanks for the train set. My dad plays with it all the time, Mike. <laughs> and then there is one more. I would like just one of everything, Santa. Thank you, Nancy. A lot of times Christmas is associated with waiting to find out what you're going to get, and you, you get all those hopes build up, and then sometimes it's not what you expected. Like, poor Ralphie, we can't go a Christmas season without showing a clip from Christmas. Story. Let's watch. Ralphie, what did Aunt Clara give you? Show everybody. I don't want to. Ralphie, show everybody what Aunt Clara gave you. <laughs> Aunt Clara had for years labored under the delusion that I was not only perpetually four years old, but also a girl. She just always gives you the nicest things, Ralphie. Oh, my. Oh, isn't that sweet? Ralph, go upstairs and try it on. I don't want to. Go upstairs right now and try on that present. She went to all that trouble to make it. Now, go on. feet began to sweat as those two fluffy little bunnies with the blue button eyes stared sappily up at me. Come down here so I can see you better. I just hoped that Flick would never spot him, as the word of this humiliation could easily make Warren G. Harding's school a veritable hell. Oh, isn't that cute? That is the most precious thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a deranged Easter bunny. He does not. He does too. He looks like a pink nightmare. Are you happy wearing that? Do you want to take it off? Look, you tell the kid to take it off. All right, you'll only wear it when Aunt Clara visits. Go on and take it off. Take it off! <laughs> well, you, everybody probably in here has seen that. He, you know what he wants. He wants a genuine Red Rider BB gun. And he does get it, but... Then comes the infamous words, which are? Exactly. Everybody knows that, don't they? He didn't shoot his eye out, but he busted his glasses, and we remember that story, you know, on that. But the question comes down, we that are older, has, has Christmas lost its meaning? You know, it's like that little boy in, in that clip, there was some, some magic in there. He was, he was waiting, he was anticipating, but as we get older, well, maybe not so old, is it? It kind of loses its luster. Do you wait for anything at Christmas? Let me ask you some questions. What are you waiting for this Christmas? Are you longing for anything? Is there something in your heart that's not been fulfilled? Maybe you expect on receiving something or looking forward. In the gospel, we come across two characters who make their appearance in the final acts of the Christmas drama. One is a man named Simeon, and the other is a woman named Anna. They don't appear in any of the nativity scenes or in too many Christmas cards, but they are significant players in the first Christmas pageant. 
Both of these individuals were waiting for something. Actually, they were waiting for someone. Actually, they really bring the, the meaning of Advent to light because they were anticip- in anticipation. Luke asks, uses a Greek word of anticipation that identifies them as waiting with expectations for the coming of the Messiah or Savior. Literally means they were alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. We see this word in Luke 2.25 in reference to Simeon. When we read that, he was waiting. And in 2.28, to describe a woman named Anna who was looking forward to, Simeon was waiting for comfort. There was a lot of misery in Israel at that time. We're introduced to Simeon in Luke 2.25. Now, there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Simeon was righteous before people, and he was devout in his relationship with God. But like I said, things weren't real good in Israel at that time. They hadn't heard from God for 400 years. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around. We sense God every day, hopefully. I, I hope you're a follower of Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you sense his presence every day. They hadn't heard from God for 400 years. And then God shows up, and we read in the Scripture that it was in the fullness of time. It was in the fullness of God's time, actually. Israel had lost their political independence. They were under the boot heel of Rome and a puppet king by the name of Herod who was crafty and cruel. And people was wondering, is he ever going to show up? Here we have all these promises for the prophet, but still no Jesus. When's he going to hit the scene? Verse 26 shows us that Simeon had good reason for his hopes and anticipation. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon's expectations focused on the comfort that Christ would bring. This was one of the titles of Messiah that the Jews would say to one another that the Messiah will come and he will be the comforter. It's like the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We was talking about that song, Emmanuel. Come and ransom captive Israel. And they were captive in a lot of different ways. They were captive in their sin and they were captive under Roman rule. It strikes me that the desire to be comforted is a universal human need. I think we're all honest. There's times we all struggle with loneliness or emptiness or insecurity and even desperation. In fact, Christmas is a tough time of the year. I think as far as suicides Attempted suicides go. There's probably more during Advent than there is any other time of the year. Verse 27 says, That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon to go to the temple. Just the right time of day where Joseph and Mary would be there and that he would, he would see Jesus, who was about six weeks old. He knew God's promise had been kept. Here was Emmanuel, God with us, and my favorite description of Christ is God with skin on, to make everything right, to provide significance by his presence, and to eliminate rejection, fear, and loneliness. Verse 28 through 32 says, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Lord, now I can die in peace as you promised me. I've seen the Savior you have given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Verse 28 of Luke 2, that he reached down and took Jesus out of Mary's arms and began to praise God. That might have been a little frightening for him. 
Kristen, if some strange old guy comes up and jerks that baby out of your arms, that might be a little funny. But evidently, Simeon didn't look too dangerous. He broke out in praise. And I'm sure that at that time, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but for Mary and Joseph, that he took that baby out, and, and I'm sure I like, I like the concept of him holding it up to God, and, and he said these great things about the Christ. But Simeon had come to grips with a thing that a lot of people in our world need to finally grasp, that the only hope for mankind had finally arrived. And here he was in the form of this helpless baby, actually. Anna was waiting for something different. It says that she dedicated herself to fasting and prayer in the temple. In fact, the Bible says that she never left the temple but worshiped day and night. She was in the church constantly. She was looking forward to the same person as Simeon, but a different orientation. Anna was looking for redemption for the nation Israel. She was looking for forgiveness for them, that someone would take their sins from them. And I suppose that I don't know this for sure, that during that 400 years, they probably still took animals to the temple. They still did their sacrifice, but there was something missing. Verse 36 through 38, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher and was very old. She was a widow, for her husband had died when they had been married only seven years. She was now 84 years old. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along when Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about Jesus to everyone who had been waiting for the promised king to come and deliver Jerusalem. The word redemption is related to the idea of captivity. The Old Testament Passover and the release of Israel from Egypt, Egyptian slavery stood in Anna's day as the ultimate redemption and the symbol of God's great power to release captives. When she saw Jesus, she gave thanks to God and spoke of him to all who were waiting. Here at last was one who could save his people from his sins. And that's what Christ did. That's what he does for us. He provides everything that we need and we think about that, can we identify with Simeon? Maybe you're here today and you're, you're lonely, you're empty, you're afraid, you're kind of maxed out and you need comfort. It's not something we readily admit, is it? Can you imagine of all of us when we come in here, if God could put on the big screen what's actually in our hearts? I think it frightens some of us. Because I don't think we all come with pure motives. I think we've come in by being steeped in the world. Some of us have probably done some pretty crazy things during the week, had some pretty crazy thoughts, maybe done some things that we knew was against Christ, but we went ahead and did it anyhow because we know that he will forgive us. But you have to ask for forgiveness for him to take that guilt from you. We can't see each other's guilt. Ah, oh, there's times when... We do something really bad and get caught, and we're ashamed, and we look at the floor or whatever. But as a rule, only, only God sees what's in that heart. You know, I, I pray every week when you leave that whatever God has said to you that, that you deal with that, that you don't take it back and bring it back week after week after week after week. You know, that's my prayer because more than anything else, I just want you to be free. I want you to be at peace. I don't want you to go to bed at night with guilt. 
There was something bothering you so much that it keeps you awake. That's what Jesus is for. We give it to him and, and let him handle it. Or maybe you do identify with Anna. You need forgiveness for something, something you've done, the way you've been living. It's an amazing thing to me that we, we can just go to Jesus and regardless of what we've done, Lord, forgive me, and he wipes it off the slate. It's not like us. He doesn't keep bringing it up. <laughs> over and over and over like some of us do, especially spouses. Do you remember the time? We've talked about that a lot, maybe. Here's some action steps that we can grasp from this passage that will help us experience God's comfort and forgiveness this whole Advent Christmas season. One, we need to become a marveler. There should be times in our life with what Christ does that we marvel at it that it gives us a sense of awe, and we just can't hardly grasp it. When Joseph and Mary tried to process everything that was happening, verse 33 says that they marveled in what was said about Jesus. According to the dictionary, to become a marveler is to be filled with wonder, astonishment, and surprise. Verse 33 says Joseph and Mary were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Will you be a marveler this season, or... Will you be caught up in the busyness and stress of the season, which sometimes just take you almost to the limit? Or has Christmas become too predictable? And like I said, you just kind of you just kind of lose that. One of our biggest dangers of followers of Christ is apathy. Getting getting in a rut, and Swindoll said a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. We just go through the motions. It's always the same. But we're in. We're in the boat with Christ, and we're sailing along on a peaceful lake. Boy, there's got to be times when the Holy Spirit touches our heart, and we, we just marvel at God and, and what he's done. Second thing, we need to become a mover. Take a look at verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Now drop down to verse 38. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God. Both Simeon and Anna were movers. When the Holy Spirit prompted them to move, they didn't sit still. What would have happened if they, they hadn't moved? Actually, every one of these Christmas characters responded to the Spirit's leading with the exception of Herod. And that hasn't changed. As God sets our daily requirements up to be the church, the Holy Spirit comes and he guides us. And he tells us what to do if we're listening. He tells us who to talk to. He tells us who to pray for. Doesn't happen to me often, but sometimes in the middle of the night, God will wake me up to pray for a specific person. I don't know why, but it it does. It happens that way, and I do it. I try to be, you know, I always say this, and it might sound crazy to you. I've not been the most holy person. I want to be, but I've been obedient. I believe God has blessed me in my ministry. Is because I've, I've always done what he wanted me to do. I've been obedient, if that makes any sense to you. And that's, that, that's, that's listening, obeying, doing what the Holy Spirit asks us to do. And it's just not these Christmas characters. He, he comes to you every day. And so do you, do you listen to him? That is the question. It, it, this is for everybody. It, it's not just for us, staff, leadership team, whatever. It's for, it's for all of you. That if you're listening, the Holy Spirit is telling you something every day of your life. And I pray that you listen, actually. And that's what happened here. 
Mary was ready to move when she said to the angel, may it be to me as you have said, Luke 2.38. Joseph demonstrated that he was a mover when he woke up from his dream and did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home to be his wife, Matthew 1.24. Things have changed so much from that day to this day. She was betrothed and they were engaged with her. She was getting big with a baby. You think about the neighbors, it's not a big deal anymore, which it should be. But those days, it was just, they could take women out and stone them for stuff like that. The shepherds were movers as well when they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Luke 2.15. They moved out of their comfort zone and found the king at Christmas. Well, God prompts you to do something. You should do it. Regardless of what that is. It might be to finally come. It might be to finally bend your knee to the Christ in your heart. You realize that there are a lot of people that go to church week after week, and there's people that even tithe. It's never, never made that commitment. Just because their grandma or whatever was a believer, just because they come, they think they're in. Well, that's wrong. That's faulty reasoning. That's what the devil wants you to believe. Oh, yeah, be a good person, do this and that, but, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to pay homage to Christ. You don't, you don't ever have to come to that point. But every one of us has to get to a point where we say, Lord, I am a sinner, full-blown, outrageous sinner, and I'm lost, and I need you in my heart. Would you forgive my sins and come in? Some people have never done that. They think they're in, but I, I always say this, uh, tongue-in-cheek, that I, I think we'll be surprised who's in heaven and who's not. People will be in heaven because they believe in Jesus Christ. It's the only way they're going to be there. And, that's, and so God might be prompting you to, to finally make that commitment. Or surrender yourself to God. There's a lot of people that get in the boat and don't want to ever pick up an oar. They're not going to help row that rascal. They just want to sit in the back and eat grapes or whatever they're eating while they're riding along. You know, That's a problem. That is a problem with the church. I think it's a problem everywhere, actually. Or maybe the Spirit wants you to get involved more in serving people. The question is, are you a mover? Do you move when the Holy Spirit talks to you? Are you willing to move? I'm stuck with what Simeon told Mary in verse 34. It must have taken her breath away. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. That's not much of a Christmas greeting, is that? It's not Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. You can just almost see him clearing his throat and telling her that Christmas will never be merry and the New Year will never be happy until people get moving and surrender their lives to Christ. That is the point. And here's the truth. Christmas splits people into two camps. Since Christ has entered into the world, He has divided the human race. Regardless of the color of our skin, where we're born, what country we're from, there are those that believe in Jesus and those that don't. That's how the world's separated. But boy, we've we've changed that, haven't we? We have drawn caste systems and class lines and on and on and on and on. But according to this, from the way Jesus teaches us today, There's two classes of people, those that know him and those that don't. He has divided the race. Jesus will cause the falling and rising of many. 
Because of who Jesus is and what he came to do, he forces people to make a decision about him. You have to decide yes or no. There's no, there's no middle of the road. There's no gray areas in faith. We try to make them, but they're not there. The Bible uses powerful imagery. Jesus is either a rock that you build your life on, that's the sense of rising, or he's a rock that you stumble over, that's the meaning of falling. So Jesus calls us to this moral decision based upon our willingness to move and respond. We will either rise or fall. So I ask you this morning as you follow Christ, are you rising or falling? You're going one way or the other. I don't believe there's a a neutral place. You're either with him or against him. Then the last thing, last step has become a messenger. As we work at becoming marvelers, we can't help but become movers that leads us to the final step in this passage, become a messenger. Notice verse 38 again. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And you're probably going to be running into people this Christmas that don't know Christ and you sense that there's something in their life that needs addressing, that there's a hole that needs filling, and God's got you in that position to help bring that about, so to speak, and to to love them and to tell them what Christ has done for you. That's our biggest testimony. We all got a story, and that, that story is the key to a lot of people's finding Christ, but we gotta have enough gumption and guts and courage to be able to tell it. Is it easy for you to tell your story? I think that's a good question to ponder. It should be. It should just come pouring out. You know, I, I don't know about you, but here's what Jesus did for me. And, it, it, and, it, and it's pretty non-threatening in a way than standing and saying, man, you're going to hell. You're going to burn the fires of hell if you don't come to Jesus at this minute. I'd rather have somebody tell me their story of how Christ saved their marriage, how Christ saved their life, and the power that he's putting in their life right now to help them, help them get through it. You know, a lot of us, I do believe, because I used to do it all the time. When I was sitting in a service and my pastor was preaching and the Holy Spirit got to working on me a little bit, if I didn't want to hear him, I would think about something else. I would think about what's for lunch. I could almost close my eyes and walking in the house and smelling that roast and potatoes. Or I'd think about what I was going to do this week or whatever. You know, that's a tool of the enemy. <laughs> he likes to put that stuff in your head. Because I would say that probably everybody, when we come in here, God is trying to tell us something, and we always have something we need to deal with, regardless of what it is. Yeah. But no, we, <laughs> we like to think that everything is, is all right with us, and I hope it is this morning, my friends, but I don't know what God said to you. And I pray that this Advent season that you become a marveler, that you move when the Holy Spirit moves you and you spread that message that he has.